Chapter Three of the Diamond Master by Jacques Futrelle. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Three, Thursday at Three. Mister Latham ran through his afternoon mail with feverish haste and found nothing. Mister Schultz achieved the same result more ponderously. On the following morning, the mail still brought nothing. About eleven o'clock, Mr. Latham's desk telephone rang. "'Come to my office,' requested Mr. Schultz, in guttural excitement. "'Mine got, Latham. Come to my office, and bring the diamond.' Mr. Latham went. Including himself, there were the heads of the five greatest jewelry establishments in America, representing, perhaps, one-tenth of the diamond trade of the country, in Mr. Schultz's office.' He found the other four gathered around a small table, and on this table, Mr. Latham gasped as he looked, lay four replicas of the mysterious diamond in his pocket. "'Put it down here, Latham,' directed Mr. Schultz. "'They are all twins, all alike, Tweedledums and Tweedledees.' Mr. Latham silently placed the fifth diamond on the table, and for a minute or more the five men stood still and gazed first at the diamonds, then at one another, and then again at the diamonds. Mr. Solomon, the crisply spoken head of Solomon Berger and Company, broke the silence. These all came yesterday morning by mail, one to each of us, just as the one came to you, he informed Mr. Latham. Mr. Harris here, of Harris and Blacklock, learned that I had received such a stone, and brought the one he had received for comparison. We made some inquiries together and found that a duplicate had been received by Mr. Stoddard of Hall Stoddard Higginson. The three of us came here to see if Mr. Schultz could give us any information, and he telephoned for you. Mr. Latham listened blankly. It's positively beyond belief, he burst out. What, what does it mean? It means, the German importer answered philosophically, that if diamonds like these keep popping up like this, in another three months, they will not be worth more than five cents a bucketful. The truth of the observation came to the four others simultaneously. Hitherto there had been only the sense of wonder and admiration. Now came the definite knowledge that diamonds, even of such great size and beauty as these, would grow cheap if they were to be picked out of the void and realization of this astonishing possibility brought five shrewd business brains to a unit of investigation. First, it was necessary to find how many other jewelers had received duplicates. Then it was necessary to find whence they came. A plan was adopted, and an investigation ordered to begin at once. There is something back of it, of course, declared Mr. Schultz. What is it? They are not being sent for our health. During the next six days, half a score of private detectives were at work on the mystery, with the slender clues at hand. They scanned hotel registers, quizzed paper-box manufacturers, pestered stamp clerks, bedeviled postal officials, and the sum total of their knowledge was negative, save in the fact that they established beyond question that only these five men had received the diamonds. And meanwhile, the heads of the five greatest jewel-houses in New York were assiduous in their search for that copperplate superscription in their daily mail. On the morning of the eighth day it came. 
Mr. Latham was nervously shuffling unopened personal correspondence when he came upon it, a formal white square envelope directed by that same copper-plate hand which had directed the boxes. He dropped into his chair and opened the envelope with eager fingers. Inside was this letter. My dear sir, one week ago I took the liberty of sending you, and to each of the four other leading jewelers of this city, whose names you know, a single large diamond of rare cutting and color. Please accept this as a gift from me, and be good enough to convey my compliments to the other four gentlemen, and assure them that theirs too were gifts. Believe me, I had no intention of making a mystery of this. It was necessary definitely to attract your attention, and I could conceive of no more certain way than in this manner. In return for the value of the jewels I shall ask that you, and the four others concerned, give me an audience in your office on Thursday afternoon next, at three o'clock, that you make known this request to the others, and that the three experts whose judgment you will all accept shall meet with us. I believe you will appreciate the necessity of secrecy in this matter, for the present at least. Respectfully, E. Van Cortland, Wynne. They were on hand promptly, all of them, Mr. Latham, Mr. Schultz, Mr. Solomon, Mr. Stoddard, and Mr. Harris. The experts agreed upon were the unemotional Mr. Zenke, Mr. Cawthorne, an Englishman in the employ of Solomon, Berger, and Company, and Mr. Schultz, who gravely admitted that he was the first expert in the land, after Mr. Zenke, and whose opinion of himself was unanimously accepted by the others. The meeting-place was the director's room of the H. Latham Company. At one minute of three o'clock a clerk entered with a card and handed it to Mr. Latham. Mr. E. Van Cortland Wynne, Mr. Latham read aloud, and every man in the room moved a little in his chair. Then, show him in here, please. Now, gentlemen, observed Mr. Schultz sententiously, we shall see what we shall see. The clerk went out, and a moment later Mr. Wynne appeared. He was tall and rather slender, alert of eyes, graceful of person, perfectly self-possessed, and sure of himself, yet without one trace of egotism in his manner or appearance, a fair type of the brisk, courteous young businessman in New York. He wore a tweed suit, and in his left hand carried a small sole-leather grip. For an instant he stood, framed by the doorway, meeting the sharp scrutiny of the assembled jewelers with a frank smile. For a little time no one spoke, merely gazed, and finally, "'Mr. Latham?' queried Mr. Wynne, looking from one to the other. Latham came to his feet with a sudden realization of his responsibilities as temporary host, and introductions followed. Mr. Wynne passed along on one side of the table, shaking hands with each man in turn, until he came to Mr. Zenke. Mr. Latham introduced them. "'Mr. Zenke,' repeated Mr. Wynne, and he allowed his eyes to rest frankly upon the expert for a moment. "'Your name has been repeated to me so often that I almost feel as if I knew you.' Mr. Zenke bowed without speaking. "'I am assuming that this is the Mr. Zenke, who was associated with Mr. Bernardo and Mr. Zeet,' the young man went on. "'That is correct, yes,' replied the expert. 
and I believe, too, that you once did some special work for Professor Henry Moisson in Paris? Mr. Zenke's black eyes seemed to be searching the other's face for an instant, and then he nodded affirmatively. I made some tests for him. Yes, he volunteered. Mr. Wynne passed along the other side of the long table and stopped at the end. Mr. Latham was at his right, Mr. Schultz at his left, and Mr. Zenke sat at the far end facing him. The small sole-leather grip was on the floor at Mr. Wynne's feet. For a moment he permitted himself to enjoy the varying expressions of interest on the faces around the table. "'Gentlemen,' he began, then, "'you all probably have seen my letter to Mr. Latham, or at least you are aware of its contents.' so you understand that the diamonds which were mailed to you are your property. I am not an elemoisonary institution for the relief of diamond merchants, and he smiled a little, for the gifts are preliminary to a plain business proposition, a method of concentrating your attention, and, in themselves, part payment, if I may say it, for any worry or inconvenience which followed upon their appearance. There are only five of them in the world, they are precisely alike, and they are yours. I beg of you to accept them with my compliments. Mr. Schultz tilted his chair back a little, the better to study the young man's countenance. I am going to make some remarkable statements, the young man continued, but each of these statements is capable of demonstration here and now. Don't hesitate to interrupt if there is a question in your mind because everything I shall say is vital to each of you as bearing on the utter destruction of the world's traffic in diamonds. It is coming, gentlemen, it is coming, just as inevitably as the night follows the day, unless you stop it. You can stop it by concerted action in a manner which I shall explain later. He paused and glanced along the table. Only the face of Mr. Zenke was impassive. Since the opening of the fields in South Africa, Mr. Wynne resumed quietly, something like five hundred million dollars worth of diamonds have been found there, and we'll say arbitrarily that all the other diamond fields of the world, including Brazil and Australia, have produced another five hundred million dollars worth. In other words, since about 1868, a billion dollars worth of diamonds have been placed on the market. Gentlemen, that represents millions and millions of carats, forty, fifty, sixty million carats in the rough, say. Please bear those figures in mind a moment. Now, suddenly, and as yet secretly, the diamond output of the world has been increased fifty-fold. That is, gentlemen, within the year I can place another billion dollars worth of diamonds at the prices that hold now, in the open market, and within still another year, I can place still another billion in the market, and on, and on, indefinitely. To put it differently, I have found the unlimited supply. "'Mein Gott! Where is it?' demanded the German breathlessly. Heedless of the question, Mr. Wynne leaned forward on the table, and gazed with half-closed eyes into the faces before him. Incredulity was the prominent expression, and coupled with that was amazement. Mr. Harris, with quite another emotion displaying itself on his face, pushed back his chair as if to rise, 
A slight wrinkle in the brow was all the evidence of interest displayed by Mr. Zanke. "'I am not crazy, gentlemen,' Mr. Wynne went on after a moment, and the perfectly normal voice seemed to reassure Mr. Harris, for he sat still. "'The diamonds are now in existence, untold millions of dollars worth of them, but there is the tedious work of cutting. They're in existence, packed away as you pack potatoes. I thrust my two hands into the bag and bring them out full of stones as perfect as the ones I sent you. He straightened up again, and the deep earnestness of his face relaxed a little. I believe you said, Mr. Wynne, that you could prove any assertion you might make, here and now, suggested Mr. Latham coldly. It occurs to me that such extraordinary statements as those demand immediate proof. Mr. Wynne turned and smiled at him. You are quite right, he agreed, and then, to all of them, it's hardly necessary to dwell upon the value of colored diamonds, the rarest and the most precious of all, the perfect rose color, the perfect blue, and the perfect green. He drew a small glazed white box from his pocket and opened it. Please be good enough to look at this, Mr. Zenke. He spun a rosily glittering object some three-quarters of an inch in diameter along the table toward Mr. Zenke. It flamed and flashed as it rolled, with that deep iridescent blaze which left no doubt of what it was. Every man at the table arose and crowded about Mr. Zenke, who held a flame-like sphere in his outstretched palm for their inspection. There was a tense, breathless instant. "'It's a diamond,' remarked Mr. Zenke, as if he himself had doubted it, a deep rose color cut as a perfect sphere. "'It's worth half a million dollars if it's worth a cent!' exclaimed Mr. Solomon almost fiercely. "'And this, please,' Mr. Wynne, from the other end of the table, spun another glittering sphere toward them this as brilliantly softly green as the verdure of early spring prismatic gleaming radiant mr zenke's beady eyes snapped as he caught it and held it out for the others to see and some strange emotion within caused him to close his teeth savagely and this said mr wynne again and a third sphere rolled along the table this was blue elusively blue as a moonlit sky. Its rounded sides caught the light from the windows and sparked it back. And now the three jewels lay side by side in Mr. Zenke's open hand, the while the five greatest diamond merchants of the United States glutted their eyes upon them. Mr. Latham's face went deadly white from sheer excitement, the Germans violently red from the same emotion, and the others? There was amazement, admiration, awe in them. Mr. Zenke's countenance was again impassive. End of chapter 3